0: Upeka, equanimity. By the time this retreat's over, you will know those two words. Upeka, the Pali. Equanimity, the best we can do in English. The root of that is, of course, equal equanimity, equanimous, and equal balanced. This is the most uh, underappreciated and least taught emotional skills in uh, the Western civilization. Gandhi was asked one time what he thought of Western civilization. And he said, that would be a good idea. Actually, there won't be any Western civilization or any civilization until there's some portion of that population that understands equanimity. What you are without equanimity is a passionate horde running hither and thither with emotional attachments Swaying your view of reality, so without equanimity, there is no freedom so th- this is a nice thing to uh, realize that when we talk about freedom and we and people especially in the West, talk about freedom all the time, and they have various ideas of freedom, most of them are very shallow it 's usually the freedom to do stuff, etc, but there is no freedom if you don't have skill if you don't have clarity if you don't have understanding if you don't have self awareness and introspection you're not free of anything you're you're actually compelled so the, a lot of the definitions of freedom is just the pursuit of impulse there's never a consideration of that you are bound and restricted by your impulses you are not free. You are driven more or less by instinctive impulses. The animal is not free at all in a sense they can't reflect in a situation. The human, some humans are able to reflect on their situation and to transcend it. But if you're just impulsive, of course, you can't actually stay within uh, human society. You end up in jail or on the distant margins of society because you are governed by impulse and uh, humans in general won't have that. So we can see in the direction that what you're really not free at all until you have some quality of introspection, lucidity, and equanimity. Somebody else controls your life. Some situation outside of you controls your life unless you have equanimity. And equanimity is just another word for saying that you're free uh, not to participate in the evaluations that the world imposes on you. And those categories that the world imposes on you are success and failure, praise and blame, obscurity and fame, good fortune, bad fortune. The world uh, of human, the human world <clears throat> imposes those things on you, offers them to you, and quite often people think that they must. If the world offers it, you must accept it. But this is the <coughs> why. This is the philosophical virtue. This is the high philosophical virtue. It's the and of course the Buddha is a philosopher. Uh, every bit as much as we can say that the early Greeks or anybody along that line is is a philosopher in that they have uh, high skills, high skills in wisdom and emotion. Many people who are intellectually bright uh, maybe have very IQ high IQs and they, uh, in fact, are virtuosic in some of their uh, skills, uh, their mathematical skills or... Artistic skills or musical skills, etc., are are not. They do not qualify as wise. Because they're emotionally not developed, their skill is in the uh, intellectual dimensions or the artistic dimensions, but they're not emotionally highly skilled. And the value of that high emotional skill is greater. Than those other skills, quite often people don 't agree with it they don't they don't understand that, and they sometimes resist that idea they uh, buy these stories about the it 's all right to suffer and be passionate about your art and so forth and beethoven's tempests inner tempests of anguish producing these great masterpieces, and it was all worth it in the end. Yeah, well, from the Buddhist point of view, we don't buy it. We don't rank those kind of skills and products even as highly as this emotional skill. The emotion and the intellect can't really be separated, You have to have some uh, dimension of intellect in order to understand the nature of the, 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 the value, the point of view of this featuring this single truth above all other truths, and that is the truth of the lack of necessity for suffering. There's a whole, there's a range of human experience, which is called suffering, which is optional. And quite often people don't understand that it's optional. They believe that it's compulsive. It's it's compulsory. That in certain circumstances, in certain ways, one must suffer. That is part of the. Uh, the... Cost of admission to the human realm. <clears throat> so it's it's shocking what the Buddha is suggesting, and and some of the Greek philosophers were suggesting something along those lines too. Um, and uh, in when you see Socrates engaged in dialogues on the street, uh, certain people are there to, as foils to. Argue against it because most people do. They they argue against it. They argue against their own happiness, actually. So equanimity is not a just a, a, a lack of reaction to things, but it is the skill of balance. And just try, if you have an ailment of the inner ear, <clears throat> you will lose your sense of balance. One of the, it's a very nauseating experience. Can't balance. You have these fine little mechanisms. Just try living, walking around physically without being able to balance. So people uh, to be out of balance is um, is nauseating from time to time. It's a form of emotional seasickness. <laughs> and we we all have experienced it in our lives we have been ill emotionally distraught and nauseated by the various encounters of life from time to time because we were caught off balance we were brought off balance by situations ideas sometimes there's no no real situation out there it's a it's a self-produced thing and we can easily get into a type of paranoid uh, thinking, we can imagine all kinds of dreadful futures for ourselves, which uh, makes you sick. Uh, that is also at a lower lower grade level. It's it's continu- it's anxiety, it's pr- primary dread and anxiety, which is percolating at some level of being. And this is because we're not in balance and people seek this all the time they 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 take up health food or vitamins or more exercise uh, uh those will not do it uh because it's it's not treatable through those means although i i don't have anything against healthy diets <laughs> or exercise <laughs> go ahead <laughs> by all means it won't it won't cure the primary issue, which is only curable by considerable reflection. And remember, this all begins by reflection. I guess it all begins actually by giving ear, by listening. And this is, the Buddha talks about, he's a very great psychologist, he talks about how, does, how do you get to a place of robust emotional health? Do you just snap your fingers? Do you just wish for it? Does it come from God or something? No, he gives a series of types of events that must occur in order for this to happen. And the first thing is, if you haven't heard about this, there's, there's very little possibility that you're ever going to get there. So it's just by listening to it. First of all, having a, a strongly persuasive argument For the advantages of a certain view and the uh, you have to be also persuaded that it's okay to aspire to a sense of lightness of being happiness, ease which is quite removed from the conditions of the world around you, both the physical and the social structures that it's independent of that so that takes quite a bit of uh, mulling over and well-delivered, persuasive arguments for that view because you won't hear that ordinarily in conversation, in ordinary conversation, in order, order, ordinary interactions and also in just the kind of things you read um, and watch on television and so forth. You, that, that view is not normally expressed I think one of the reasons is that it's basically drama and comedy would go out of business. There would be no more novels or dramatic movies or comedies because they all rely on this endless uh, folly of human Misunderstandings. That you need tension. You need you need you need tragedy. In other words, boy meets girl, boy gets girl, boy loses girl, and sometimes boy gets girl back. That's how they make. (laughs) It's all about isn't it? Tension. Tension. And then resolution. Uh, you you can't have stories without these tension and resolution. So when you cultivate equanimity, you actually start losing interest in stories like that. <laughs> you've you've heard it all before. It's also the nature of popular music. You gotta have you start with C, you strum a C chord, then you go to, and that's very resolved. It's very it's very uh, tranquil then you throw something in a g7 <laughs> terrible tension happens <laughs> it cannot you cannot end on g7 you must go back to c <laughs> boy gets girl back <laughs> it's it's all it is is tension and release tension and release tension and release without any an infinite cycle of tension and release that's samsara that's actually ordinary life but if you you could you can find a steady state now for some people it's it's almost continuous tension there is no release uh you you're in pain all the time and only you might get uh you need a fairly strong drug actually to get you out of. Out of it, you can't think your way out of it. You can't reflect your way out of it. So sometimes you just need an induction from the pharmaceutical companies or your your local um, pusher <laughs> to relieve the pain, to feel no pain for a while. Uh, that there's so there's a spectrum of from almost constant pain. Uh, up to moderate pain that that is relieved from time to time, and then up the spectrum until there is no pain. One is staying because one's staying near the center of the teeter totter. One has this uh, freedom. Now what happens is it's not just a neutral experience. It's not just the safe. It's like safe, but there's no zip to life. No, that's that's a. a Misunderstanding, too what happens is that the mind and the emotional structure, and whenever I talk about the mind, I always you can't disconnect it from the emotional structure. The only th- thing that distinguishes you from a computer is you feel you have emotions, so it's your mind is is just a, an aspect of this the functioning aspect of this primary relevant important issue in life how do you feel that's What matters. Actually, when you reflect in wisdom, you will find out that that's the only thing that really matters. Everything else is secondary. That gets priority, and that's the truth that the Buddha features. He says it's really a shame when a human is in distress quite unnecessarily. That's a shame. We can see other things that are a shame and that is one of the things he said was there is one illness, the worst illness. And what is that? Hunger is the worst illness. It's a shame when people are hungry. Uh, you know why because we know the cure food <laughs> so the worst illness is this shattering lack of understanding that another person is hungry you know what it is when you're hungry and when other people are hungry and not and it's not addressed it's it's the worst of illnesses and most people are moved by that and the wisest most compassionate people are uh, at one at the most coarse level, the is, is one thing that cannot be cannot be born is is people fading away from hunger, you know famines and so forth. That's the most. Uh, this moves the heart of anybody who has one. So the other thing is the com- the starvation through lack of nourishment of the heart and the mind. This is another great illness. And we also know the cure for this, but it's not it's not widely distributed. Just like we know the cure for famine is distribu- distribution of food, it, the, the cure for the emotional structures of unnecessary suffering in the human emotional structure is... The cure is known. <clears throat> it's a little harder to address than just giving people food. Because uh, often people won't eat. Uh, eat the Dhamma. <laughs> eat the truth. <laughs> uh, they are persuaded that, uh, that they're suffering is real and necessary they don't see a solution for it but there is a solution for it so so this equanimity is a form of freedom uh, but it requires other support and one of them is wisdom and wisdom to listen to the persuasive arguments that much of the way the negative feelings one encounters in life are not necessary that there is an alternative and that it's not merely the cancellation of pain it's not just neutral feeling one thing is brilliant in the explorations that the buddha undertook and and others of his his disciples and 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 generally the inquiries of wise people uh, especially the indian culture at the time these they were focused mostly on uh, Psychological explorations. They were going, they're very um, bold, kind of like those people who explore caves, you know, that, yeah, spelunkers, um, and or that sailed into the Arctic in the, you know, the 18th century, and hey, you're really putting yourself on the line. You may not come back. Indian culture of that time produced enough Inquirers, but they were interested in going in to see what the mind could do, what what they could do with the mind as well. There are other places on the planet that seem to have a high percentage of uh, self inquiry as well. Uh, The Greeks at the time, some of the Chinese uh, philosophers, also going inward. They remarkable adventures. So, they required um, that, they realized they were weak, uh, that their mind was too weak to carry out some of the ideas that they had. And this is kind of like athleticism, and and it's also even these journeys to climbing Everest or going to the North Pole and South Pole. Before you do that, you have to exercise a lot, otherwise you're not going to make it. So the exercise, they had to do exercises to get their mind to stay on the brilliant um, maps that they had laid out. They they thought perhaps it's possible to transcend these this uh, the ordinary emotional structure of people, but it's hard to remember that you you forget ten minutes later, and they realized that they had to train their mind, so they they developed exercises for training their mind to pay attention. I mean, this is the problem, isn't it? You see when, uh, in the human population, those who cannot pay attention will not do well. They will not do well emotionally, they will not do well in any other aspect. They can't pay attention. If you don't have that attention, nothing happens. You can't. Those who can sustain attention uh, for a long time will succeed in in whatever that they have chosen to pay attention to. Those who know what is important to pay attention to and have the capacity to pay attention to, they will have the ultimate success. And the ultimate success is they will arrive at emotional well-being. One of the things they discovered along the way is that what happens if you do not have negative, afflictive emotions happening within your system? They, they, they try to alleviate their... Emo- the, 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 first of all, they identified negative-type emotional structures, and those are what we call, and you're all familiar with this, the five hindrances, five psychic irritants of ill will and craving, agitation... Sloth and the problematic, unresolved doubt. <clears throat> These are the harassments of the mind, the self-harassments, and they, they decided that they would allay those through various uh, means. And uh, what would happen then? Would they would it just be a state, a neutral state? It turned out, no that the mind is intrinsically joyful, very light, in a, almost a continuous state of ease and joy, if it's not being harassed. So equanimity is a very refined uh, emotion, but it's not neutral. It's an it's a ultra-refined ultra type of joy. Because uh, in order to be equanimous, the negative states have to be, have ceased. The self-harassments, psychic irritants, have to have ceased. And when that happens, the mind rejoices. It's just a matter of the qualities of joy. And so there's just a, there's coarse types of joy. And you will see it all dogs running around and having a good time, kids, and so forth. It's a kind of a boisterous, uh, fairly coarse stuff. And then there's more refined types of joy as you become, you know, again, back to the gourmet, gourmand of uh, the refinements of joy. You cultivate the palate to more and more refinements. Equanimity is the the finest, it's your your Dom Perignon of uh, the emotional structures these are subtle uh, jokes that I'm, I'm asserting because it, that, it's, it's always about the Catholics they drink <laughs> in the monasteries, we don't drink in the monasteries at least they have good taste though with their intoxicants Benedictine and Dom Perignon and stuff. I insert these (laughs) criticisms of Catholic monasticism. But uh, we are looking for the champagne of, of the perfections of character and that is equanimity. By the way, uh, so I remember reading about Dom Perignon. He was an abbot or something in one of the Catholic monasteries. And they make, they still do, make wine, you know. And uh, he went down to uh, see how the wines were doing. And I guess carbonation had happened in, in some of the wine, which is not their intent, but he opened it and drank it. And that was Champagne. He came up from the cellar and he said to the brothers, Brothers, I have been drinking the stars. <laughs> Voila, there's Dom Perignon. And so, uh, <clears throat> unfortunately, that's a kind of a low-class version of equanimity. Um, I have been drinking the stars. And equi- you will, you will, the closer you come to this equanimity... You will understand what it is. And there's variations of wine itself, but without the carbonation, it doesn't come to that taste of the stars. It's a very, very high, beautiful, and remember that I was talking about elevation changes, you know, very, it's high alpine meadow type of emotion. The way to get there is through uh, the coarser joys <laughs> and energy. So actually you have to cultivate energy and joy first. You have to work out in the garden substantially, creatively, um, before you're allowed to experience the after effects, the serene evening on the porch after having done a very good day's work uh, in the garden. Uh, Equanimity follows. So we see the structure of uh, the seven factors of awakening. We start with mindfulness, and then investigation, and then energy, and joy, and a little bit of serene. Uh, confidence moving finally into stable uh, still stillness practices which end up finally in uh, equanimity the the height or the depths of stillness, but you they 're in that order in a cert, for a certain reason it's very hard to get to that stillness without going through mindfulness, the collection of your awareness the investigation of of this whole path towards this freedom, the energy that comes from that, the joy that follows the energy. So this is in a very um, uh, strong, these are stronger uh, activities. They're not all that subtle yet. And then they start to move into more subtle areas. They become this tranquil, serene confidence, which allows you to step out of the ordinary world, which is you're preoccupied with the outer world. You're preoccupied with the outer world in, in your personal history, your memories, preoccupied with the outer world, how it's going to appear in your future, your imagination. But you're now stepping right out of that, that world. Both of memories, and imagination, and the present experience through sights and sounds, smells, tastes, touches, and uh, the, the sensual pleasure of thought processes as well. Ideas are sensually pleasing, but we're stepping out of that even into this samadhi, this serene, bow, this, this. you're starting to get the balanced mind Independent, and that's where freedom lies, is in in independence. You're not dependent on the whims of the world around you and the people in the world around you and the value structures of the world around you. You become independent. It's like independent wealth. You don't have to go to work anymore. So you enter that. At first, you just get a small pension. It's enough to get by on. That's a little bit of samadhi you now have a place where you can actually enjoy yourself outside of the conventional external world. And that, gets, that just builds up the, the amount of time and the intensity and the quality of that experience builds up as you go deeper into that samadhi. The deepest states of samadhi are equanimity. There you, you have the, the profound luxury of a, of a refined emotion. And then you don't want to just uh, only be able to experience that in special circumstances, when you're sitting still with your eyes closed, etc. But you want to actually be able to carry that around with you. And that's the other form of equanimity, which I talked about, these two primary forms. One is in the, the function of life, in motion, uh, experiencing the, the sensory experience of life, and ideas and interaction, you can still maintain equanimity, upeka. So this is the quality that the Buddha is um, is sustaining, and the quality you're not. It's not necessary to be enlightened to have experiences of this. Um, it's something that everybody who Experiences it, remarks on, and, and tra- endeavors to maintain. Whenever you get your head above water, about out of the melodra- melodrama of ordinary life, you you always think this is wonderful. I would, why am I not like this all the time? And that's a. The Buddha, by the way, encourages that. Sometimes people talk about it as you know don't get attached to that but that that's please do get attached to that yeah something uh, a fortunate attachment in a way this process and progress towards this equanimity should be understood that equanimity is not just mere neutrality it's it's a very very refined and beautiful emotional state which is very light cool and suffering has been Uh, overcome, either temporarily or, in the case of deep enlightenment, irreversibly. So I think that's a good word to end on. Irreversibly.